So receiving forgiveness, I'm not sure if this was on purpose or just my lot was cast in this direction. That's a tough that's a tough one. Would you agree? I think almost anybody could teach on giving forgiveness, but receiving forgiveness, we don't hear much about that. And um I'm sure there are others, but the only two reasons I think of that a person would not receive forgiveness is either extreme arrogance or extreme ignorance. Does that make sense? Extreme arrogance or extreme ignorance. When a person is arrogant, they really don't believe they did anything wrong. And maybe a classic example, and I may or may not have been guilty of this, Have you ever been stopped by uh, a CHP, a cop, a policeman? You were speeding, and he or she lets you off the hook, but now you want to argue with them that you didn't deserve to be stopped. That is a form of not receiving forgiveness because we are so arrogant. We never do anything wrong. Maybe you show up to work, it's obviously... 10, 12, 15 minutes after you're supposed to have shown up, your boss meets you in the lobby and says, hey, it's a little late, but no big deal, you know, uh, let's just get to work. And you're all, oh, it wasn't my fault. And we come up with this long litany of reasons why it's not our fault, which is another reason or explanation of not receiving forgiveness. We wouldn't receive forgiveness because we're too arrogant to believe that we have need of forgiveness. Those people or that person, they just never do anything wrong. <laughs> They're never owning their own failures. That person that's late could simply say, Oh, I'm so sorry, you know, I, I got up late or my car was this or that, but it's, it's completely my fault. Thanks for understanding. Yes, I'm, I'm going to blow through my uh, first break. But it's just not there. It's hard for them to accept responsibility. People who come from religious-oriented backgrounds, and now I'm speaking of maybe a, a religious background, and it's not just one. There are multiple legal-based uh, works-oriented religions, they find it easy to not need forgiveness because they rarely, if ever, do anything wrong. In our uh, contracting work, we run into lots of interesting people, and, and I work for some of them from time to time, and when they find out I'm a pastor, they often want to enter into religious discussion. And I'm thinking of one in particular who frequently edifies himself about the good works that he does, the, the way he relates to people, the uh, sacrifices he makes, the monies that he gives or service that he offers to people, that when the good Lord comes, I'm definitely going to be among them. But everything else in their life would indicate they have no idea the, the real efficacy of the Lord's gift for us on the cross. And so that, that puts us in a little bit difficult place. I don't need 
forgiveness from God because I'm really a pretty good person. Do you remember the Pharisee who Jesus talked about? This was that Pharisee who stood in the public square where everybody could see and prayed this, this prayer that he thanked God he wasn't like sinners who, who needed forgiveness. He, he didn't need forgiveness because he didn't have any problems. Now that might be a little over the top, none of us would ever take that position, but in our heart of hearts, if we are to look back, maybe more often than not, we find ourselves not taking responsibility for our own stuff. We're just not like that. I mean, I can see others, they've got problems, but I don't have those problems. And frankly, it's, it's really hard to get that person to see the other side. And unfortunately, more often than not, a severe crisis has to happen for them to see through a different paradigm. For them to see that, wow, maybe I do have some needs. Maybe there are some problems in my life. And that crisis is what interrupts that pattern. Uh, Failure to receive forgiveness, as I said, is either extreme arrogance or it's extreme ignorance. The second most common reason people don't receive forgiveness is they don't believe they deserve it. And oftentimes the the phrase, I'm unworthy. I understand that's a feeling. It's a strong emotion. But before we unpack that, I want to just make a statement about receiving forgiveness. It is part and parcel of receiving salvation. So if we have received salvation, whether we understand the forgiveness part or not, it's already there. You cannot come to the Lord and accept the Lord uh, Jesus as your Savior and not receive salvation with it. It's not like part two. It's not like, oh, once I understand that or once I accomplish a certain amount of good works, If we've received Christ, we have received forgiveness. If you haven't accepted Christ, then by converse, you have not received forgiveness. It's not possible to say, I'm a completely forgiven person. Who's going to do that if it's not Christ? (laughs) No no one else is going to do that. So uh, that would be a, a false understanding. But if I have accepted Christ and I still struggle with a sense of unforgiveness, I'm stating this as we have simply have a disconnect in functionally grasping hold of that truth. So when I use the word functionally grasping hold of that truth, I'm simply saying it's there, but we don't know it's there. I'm always fascinated a little bit. I'm the youngest of four in my family. And occasionally one of my sisters will remind me that there are assets out there that are unclaimed that maybe I could grab hold of some if I just do a little search. I don't know. How many have done that? Have you done search for those? You've done it. Okay. Anybody else? It's crazy because you might have $25 that was overpaid over here, $40 from, and it's not very much. But do you know that uh, in the state government and national government combined, there's over 80 
billion dollars currently unclaimed? Over eight, no, they can't. Over 80 billion dollars. These are life insurance policies that were forgotten about or taken out by a deceased parent, now deceased, that the, the offspring forgot about or didn't know about. Could be hundreds of thousands of dollars. It is insurance policies that were paid out that were never collected. It's overpayment of this. It's settlements, uh, class action settlements. All these kinds of things. $80 billion. What if you were one of those who, let's just say, um, an outstanding modest one mil? <clears throat> well, that is modest compared to a billion. And it's modest compared to 80 billion. Is it yours? Well, it's yours, isn't it? Legally, it's yours. Your name is posted against that owing debt. But if you don't know about it, you will not functionally take advantage of it. So when we know that Christ paid for all of our debts on the cross, gave us all the forgiveness that comes with salvation yet we don't functionally walk in that, it's no different than having this huge amount of money that's available to us that we're not acting on because we simply haven't figured that part out. So my suggestion to you, if you say you're a believer, and I'm assuming that virtually everyone here, maybe probably 100%, otherwise you probably wouldn't be thinking about coming to church, are believers, but I'm guessing that there are some in here Though you know you're saved, you're still struggling with being forgiven. And so, hence the topic, receiving forgiveness. And I said that it's part and parcel of receiving salvation. But it is entirely possible to have God's forgiveness, but not walk in it. So either extreme arrogance or extreme ignorance. Would you agree with me that either stance is a choice? We might not say, oh, I'm signing up for arrogance. You know, we might not be that open about it, but it is a choice. And ignorance, though we might not say, well, I don't think I'm ignorant. We either are or we aren't. But it is a choice. If we don't understand something, we have allowed ourselves to not pursue study of that, understanding of that, revelation of that. So arrogance or ignorance is a choice that we make. And we proactively choose either to receive or reject it. And just as a side note, it's probably very difficult to receive forgiveness if we've never given forgiveness. Forgiveness. God unquestionably forgave every person at the cross. And I mean every person. Not just those who believe. God didn't say, let's see, I've got about 60% that believe, so I've got to figure out which of those 40 remaining percent I'm not going to forgive because they're not going to accept me. See, Jesus died on the cross. What he did was for everyone. Past, present, and future. The only distinction is will we take advantage of that? 
It's way more valuable than $80 billion of outstanding opportunities for us. But nevertheless, it's that which we need to take advantage of. One evidence that we haven't functionally received forgiveness is we still want to hold others to the debt. Do you remember the story in Matthew 18? Jesus tells the parable of this man squandered some of his goods and took out loans and ran up credit cards and borrowed money and all of a sudden he was in, I think one of the modern translations says, into his uh, master for 18 bags of gold. (laughs) I'm not sure what one bag is worth. There's been dispute as to what that outstanding debt was. Some have said it was near $10 million. I don't know how you get $10 million in debt uh, if you didn't have something of net worth in the first place. But in the parable, this man is hugely in debt. He goes and falls on the mercy of the debtor, and the debtor writes off the whole amount. Do you remember the story? What does that man then, who has received forgiveness, maybe, go and do? You know the story. What is it? For a couple bucks. And then again, some uh, more modern translation says he went and stepped on the neck of one who owed him almost nothing and said, pay up or I'm going to throw you and your family into jail, which in the parable he did. And when the original forgive or found out, what did he do? He came and grabbed him by the neck and threw him into jail. So that didn't work out very well. I can only assume that the person who was, you know, the the wrong-acting person in this parable did not understand forgiveness. He was not functionally walking in forgiveness. It might have been a legal thing. He might not have actually owed that debt. But in his heart, he didn't receive that forgiveness in a way that made it practical for him. That made him indebted and in full gratitude to uh, the one who gave it. I remember early on when we were in the vineyard, this might have been in 1984 or 85, so it predates a number of the children or kids in here, but I remember that John Wimber shares a story of a man who was instantly and obviously healed of a pretty significant disease, a life-threatening disease. There were manifestations that you would know right then that, wow, that's gone. And he went home that evening and you could say miraculously he received, and this is a true story, a phone call from an estranged brother of 20 years. He had not talked to his natural sibling for 20 years. There had been a dispute between them. Each had hurt the other. Each had wounded the other. And something happened to where for 20 years they did not speak. He gets a phone call after he gets personally healed from his brother and his brother just says, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this. I'm just so sorry that we have been estranged for all this time. I'm sorry for how I acted toward you and I forgive you for how you acted toward me. 
Will you forgive me? And as the man listened to his brother's impassioned plea for him to extend forgiveness, he said, no, and hung up the phone. He died that night in his sleep. Now, I'm not going to say every time that we are rebellious to God and harbor bitterness or unforgiveness in our heart that we are going to have our healing stolen from us. But we know that those things can hinder healing completely. And so this man completely misunderstood what it was what it meant to functionally walk in forgiveness. He was a believer. He was saved. He had gone to this this, uh, charismatic meeting where he entered into worship. He listened to the Word. He received uh, a healing. It was a miracle manifestation in his body. But he didn't know how to extend forgiveness or to receive forgiveness. Medical doctors would say, you know, that's a, it's a coincidence. It had nothing to do. There was no spiritual connection there between him being healed and then him dying that night. It just, maybe he had a heart attack. But it's an interesting story, and it's, it's just never left me uh, what that is like. And I often think that, you know, refusing to extend forgiveness is like, taking poison yourself and expecting the other person to die. But in this case, when we can't receive forgiveness, we're taking our own poison. And we will die. Spiritually, socially, emotionally, and maybe physically. So if you're having trouble with this, the choice to receive forgiveness as I see it, begins with loving yourself. Maybe you're familiar with Ephesians 5. I've probably taught it at least a hundred times. And most notably during performing of weddings because that's the chapter that compares uh, the bride of Christ with the natural bride and how God views us, the church, without stain, without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish, like this beautiful uh, bride adorned for her husband. And it talks that whole passage there about how uh, wives and husbands are to relate to each other. Then down around verse 28, verse 29 in Ephesians 5, it says, how, in essence, how can you love, guys, how can you love your wives if you don't love yourself? Now initially for Paul to come and ask someone to love themselves sounds a little uh, selfish if not full on narcissistic. I mean we all know people today who are really just kind of full of themselves. And it's obvious in the way they act and the way they don't act and, and you know in, in their lifestyles. But here Paul says there is a... a place of loving oneself that comes from a theological understanding of who we are. Not just in this natural realm, but who we are in Christ. 
And if we don't understand who we are in Christ, we cannot love ourselves. And if we cannot love ourselves, then we cannot love someone else. Most of us would like to forget the first time we started dating or thought about dating. (laughs) And we're just confident no one would want to be with us. No one would want to be seen with us. No one would say yes to our our overture of going to the dance or whatever it might be. And so we have this view of ourselves that sets us up that somehow we are unworthy. We don't deserve to be loved. We don't deserve to be forgiven. We don't deserve to receive that extension of what's being offered to us out of huge amounts of of gratitude. And so then we respond in a negative way. So when God comes to us and He says, I love you, I forgave you, and we know the truth about who we are. You know, we do this, we do that, we, we are uh, way too guilt-ridden. Do you know why a lot of people don't come to church? their own sense of unworthiness. They don't want to be hypocritical. So that sounds like a very mature place to be that I understand what hypocrisy is and I'm not living the way I should be living right now so I'm not going to come to church. It's the exact opposite of what truth is. I mean, where is a better place to be if you need help with some of these areas in your life? than where God would fully uh, accept us and put us in the context of, of um, other believers. So choosing to love yourself. About half the time, oh maybe, I don't know, I haven't logged it, but it seems often when I am praying with someone concerning a, what I'll call a serious issue prayer, it might be a terminal disease. It might be a serious breach of relationship. It might be some legal uh, entanglement that they've gotten themselves into. And we start praying uh, healing or release or restoration. And within minutes, it will come back to me from their own mouths, I'm not worthy for this. I don't deserve this. There's no way this is going to happen for me a good thing because I deserve the problem I'm in. And they are shocked when I quickly agree with them. You don't deserve it. You're a rat. You're disgusting. They look at me like, what? In ourselves, that is the way we are. And that's the way we would look to the Father, but for Him looking through the lens of Jesus Christ at us. It's prevalent. It's, it's a, uh, a scourge on the church that so many of, the, of us who are in our own declaration bona fide believers who do not feel like we are worthy to come before the Lord. And it's one of the main reasons why people don't receive forgiveness. The believer cannot function out of feelings. 
See, no one said you are unworthy in that declaration. You've said of yourself, I don't feel worthy. I don't feel like I deserve this. First of all, we cannot rely on our feelings. The believer lives by faith. Our feelings emanate from our soul or our flesh. Galatians 5.17, if you want to take notes, says, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. Our spirit, which is the spirit of Christ living in us, if we are believers, must be allowed to be in charge. It's the only part of saved individuals that knows and functions in absolute truth. You say, well, that's kind of a strong statement. Can you prove me otherwise? <laughs> I know myself. I try to live the way the Bible says, but man, do I all the time? I don't think so. My soul gets in the way and then wants to lead and fights for supremacy all the time. And my soul is expressed by my feelings, my, my emotions, my thoughts. And they are powerful. They want what they want. And it doesn't matter what it is. For some it might be power, you know, the big three or four might be food, might be sex, might be money. When you want what you want, you can know that it is your soul that is being given supremacy in your life. Your spirit, which is the spirit of Christ living in you, is perfect. Never, ever makes a mistake doesn't arrive at those other conclusions that our soul seems to have so much power in, in uh, expressing. So clearly, only Christ is worthy. But when His Spirit is living in us, He says you can claim that value. You can claim that value. So let's just... Go back to that scenario. Let's just say there's this $80 billion over here that's been unclaimed. Let's say you get your modest $1 million of it as assigned to you. You don't know that. The government does know it, but doesn't know it's specifically you. They just know they have all this money. No one's done the research. But now there's this third party that says, Wow, I've done all the checking. I see that your name is on the list. You can go and claim that right now. And if you did, would that not instantly change your life? <laughs> yeah. So when we come to the conclusion that every part of it except of us, except the Spirit of Christ living in us, is all this other stuff that we've been paying attention to and we didn't know about the perfection that's in our spirit life, and we connect with that and let that start ruling and reigning in our life, would that not change our lives instantly? Yeah. 
In Christ alone do we walk in complete forgiveness. It has absolutely nothing to do with who we are or aren't or who we were or weren't outside of Christ. It has nothing to do with any of that. We could never become worthy to receive forgiveness in any other way. The one truth fully understood and received is the only basis for us receiving forgiveness from God. And this truth will set us free from guilt and condemnation. You hear me now? (laughs) And by the way, this thing about guilt and condemnation, and that's the real question. You don't have to raise your hands, but do you know that God never, ever, 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 ever uses guilt or condemnation? Ever. When we've done something wrong and we feel guilty, first of all, that feeling, where is that coming from? Our soul. And we come to a truth that God never uses guilt or condemnation, then who's bringing that? The enemy. That's the enemy's tool. Guilt and condemnation is always a superlative, always from the enemy, never another superlative from God. Now God uses conviction, both start with C, but not condemnation. And you say, well, how would I know the difference? It's really quite easy. Condemnation will always drive us from spiritual things. Conviction will always draw us toward spiritual things. And God, of course, is the ultimate spiritual being. So if you find that you're uh, being kind of feeling isolated or not wanting to come around believers, not wanting to pray, not wanting to read the Word, not wanting to enter into worship, you can know that there's condemnation that you've received from the enemy. If in your sin, and we all have it, you say, you know what, I just need to be in worship. I need to be where other believers are exercising faith. I need to be where the Word of God is being taught. I need to be in the presence of the Lord. Of course, we can do that in our car, in our home, but we can also do it here where Hebrews says, don't forsake this. Don't forsake the gathering together of like-minded believers for the encouragement of the whole. So just know that if you're feeling condemnation or a sense of guilt, that's from the enemy. If you're feeling conviction, that's from the Lord. Failure to understand this is why some can't seem to receive forgiveness from God, or rather, even from others or themselves. Only when we know who we are in Christ can we freely give and receive forgiveness. So, this is going to be a little hard maybe for everybody to read because there's a lot on there and I wanted to put it on one page. But I'm going to read through it, okay? Every one of these I statements is true when we are in Christ, all right? And you can see probably that every one of the statements has a scripture that substantiates that it's not just somebody's good thoughts. 
I am loved. I am accepted. I am a child of God. I am Jesus' friend. I am a joint heir with Jesus, sharing His inheritance with Him. I am united with God and one spirit with Him. I am a temple of God. His spirit and His life lives in me. I am a member of Christ's body. I am a saint. I am redeemed and forgiven. I am complete in Jesus Christ. I am free from condemnation. I am a new creation because I am in Christ. I am chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. I am established, anointed and sealed by God. I do not have a spirit of fear, but of love, power and a sound mind. I am God's co-worker. I am seated in heavenly places with Christ. I have direct access to God. I am chosen to bear fruit. Man, if you read that list every day... Would you begin to move from this maybe middle ground, I don't know if I'm forgiven or not, to I am fully forgiven. I am accepted in Christ. I am somebody that God loves to be around and wants me to be around Him. And I can do His stuff. The enemy would love nothing better than to have us be in that ineffective, completely shut down state of You're not forgiven. You're such a a sinner. You're such a a bad human being. Don't come around because people will know that about you and they'll think you're a hypocrite. So don't show up at church. Don't do wonderful things. Don't even think you have the right to come before God in your closet or or by yourself because He's flat out going to reject you. The, The truth of it is, we receive crap like that. We do. Because somehow it soothes our soul. Because our soul can agree with that. Our soul says, you know what, he's right. You are all that junk. So let's not fool ourselves. But that's our soul. And that's condemnation. And that's guilt. And it never comes from God. With our lateral relationships... We must give and receive forgiveness daily because we all fail. And when I say lateral relationships, I'm talking about human to human. But with our vertical relationship with God, forgiveness from Christ was once for all time. There is no need, and I'm going to shock some of you, there is no need for a believer to ever ask Christ to forgive them again. Ever. Those of you who have been around me for a number of years have heard me say this many times, but it continues to shock people that not only do you not need to ask God for forgiveness every time you mess up, it's offensive to Him when you do. It's offensive. You say, well, how can that be? Well, if you have children, put it in that context. If they did something wrong, maybe they put a dent in the car, or they did something and... And they're really sorry. And you said, well, I forgive you for that. But every day they come and say, you know what? I'm just still so bummed about that. I'm so sorry. Do you not begin to feel like, does my statement to you that you were forgiven mean nothing? Do you have such little value for me that you don't think I have the power to actually forgive you for that? 
See, Hebrews says that Christ died for us once for all and that He will not go back and suffer on the cross again. That's the only way He can forgive is by giving His own blood. And He says He did this for past, present, and future sin. So, where does that leave us? Bible talks about sorrow. I hope we're sorry when we mess up. Bible talks about repentance. Yes, we need to repent. I remember as a young man, probably around most of the young ones here, and I would do something, and I did it on purpose, and I knew it was wrong, and I knew when I went into going to do it that it was wrong, and that I would feel bad about it later. I had enough sense about my relationship with God growing up in a, a Christian family that I could not go to Him right then and there when I was completed with my little act. I had to wait for several days before a sense of guilt would come over me and sorrow and repentance before I could go and ask God for forgiveness. And about 40 years ago now, I said, you know what, i got to figure this out. So it's been a long, long time. And I realized that what a, an act in foolishness. It has nothing to do with how I feel. Whether I feel sorry or feel repentant or feel forgiven. That doesn't change it at all. Coming to that conclusion has created an incredible amount of gratitude in my heart. And when I goof up, and I still do a lot, I can come to God and say, God, <laughs> you must just be shaking your head right now. You again? I remember when I was... Gosh, it would have been only 15. Uh, you can get a motorcycle license of 15 in California, 15 and a half. So I was 15 and a half. <clears throat> and I had this little, <clears throat> excuse me, Kawasaki that had an expansion chamber on it. It was only 120 cc, but it was set up to race. So that little 120 would go 80 miles an hour. And it sounded great. <laughs> and I was probably only 140 pounds, so that would scoot me around pretty good. And I was flying past our school. This was just in Lodi, uh, where I went to high school. And I must have been in uh, a sophomore year. I went flying by the football field, hoping somebody would see me. And, uh, of course, a cop did see me. <laughs> <laughs> he pulls me over in front of all my friends. So I wanted to be seen, but not like that. And he comes up. I had my license out already. I'm leaning on my bike. He looks at that. He looks at me. He looks at my license. He looks it back at me, and he says, Zapara, not you again. I'd been stopped so many times in that first year that... I'd become known by the small police department in, in um, Lodi. He says, knock it off. And he gave me my license back and left. No ticket. 
And I began to realize, wow, can I receive forgiveness? Or am I going to be arrogant and say, I can do anything I want. I can fly around this place anytime I want and I just get off. We, people have that arrogant attitude. It's manifest in different ways. I had those affairs. Nobody knows. I can have as many as I want. I stole that money from the office. Nobody knows. I can steal anytime I want. I can break this rule, that law. It doesn't matter. But when we have truly received forgiveness and we understand the uh, huge debt that our Lord and Savior Jesus paid on the cross for it, rather than creating license, it creates gratitude. Anything short of gratitude is not walking in functional forgiveness. We're just not, we haven't received it. We don't understand what it means. So if you find yourself saying, oh man, this is great. Johnny taught us something new here. We don't have to ask for forgiveness. Do whatever we want. And then you go out and do that. You have not understood functional forgiveness. When you've truly, when I've truly been forgiven for a heinous act or, or attitude or season in my life, and that person still loves me and accepts me and treats me as though I never did that, that's amazing. And that should create amazing gratitude. Just amazing gratitude. And the Bible says that when God forgets our sin, and the Bible does say that, He can't forget. That's an attribute of His being. He he remembers everything. But what it does mean is He does not take action against us based on that. And I often teach that to uh, married couples that are in trouble. God doesn't forget. And when you say, well, I can never forget that. No, you're not going to forget what you did to each other. But what you can choose to do is not let it be ammunition. Not hold the other person accountable for it. That's truly walking in and receiving forgiveness. So be one who humbly receives forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, we are so incredibly grateful for your Son, Jesus. So incredibly, incredibly grateful. For me, Lord, it, it causes me to want to serve you with my whole heart, my whole being, every part of me. And when I do goof up, yes, there is sorrow, there is repentance, but Lord, I am just in gratitude saying, oh God, thank you, thank you, thank you for even again in this, you've said you're forgiven. You've always been forgiven. I love you. And so, Lord, today, we love you.